Albert Einstein was once asked if he believed in God. And he said the question of God was too vast for our limited minds. He described it like this. He says, we're like a child entering a huge library filled with books in many different languages. She knows somebody wrote all these books, but she doesn't know how. Nor does she understand all of the languages the books are written in. But she does know, she does know that there is order to these books. They're arranged in some kind of order. That, said Einstein, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being toward God. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but we only dimly understand. The most beautiful emotion, he said, we can experience is the mysterious. Well, if there's anything the book of Daniel has shown us so far, it's that the mystery of God humbles us. Chapter 4 showed us how how God humbled a a prideful King Nebuchadnezzar. The narrator of the story reminded us multiple times that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. We don't hold pride of place in this world. God does. And now in Daniel chapter 5, 30 years after Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his son, is reminded of a similar lesson. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, I invite you to to open to Daniel chapter 5 as we prepare to hear God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're uh, grateful for your Word that reveals to us yourself. So show us again this morning who you are. Reveal to us again the greatness of your glory. Help us to see that you are our God, mighty in power, worthy of all praise and honor. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. Daniel 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, and then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. 
The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. And here's what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. To Kel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. We are utterly dependent on God. 
God is sovereign, the one in control of the whole universe. Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson, that God was in charge. He moved from thinking that he was in control to realizing God's control. And Daniel 5 points us in the same direction. Notice how it begins. Verse 2 says that Belshazzar wanted the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So at first, we're led to believe that the pillaging was an exercise of Nebuchadnezzar's power. But note how Daniel describes Nebuchadnezzar's life to Belshazzar. Daniel says, The Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Think back to chapter 1, when we were told that the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. Nebuchadnezzar's power came from God. He didn't take anything. God allowed him to have the temple goblets. God is in control. Life was more about what God gave Nebuchadnezzar than what he took by his power. The king was dependent on God's power and authority. And over and over, we know the Bible tells us stories about God's power being at center stage. Old, weak Abraham and Sarah were infertile until God came in power. Lying Jacob was on the run. Until God came in power. Naive Joseph with his amazing technicolor dream coat was in prison. Until God came in power. Stuttering Moses, scared Gideon, adulterous and murdering King David. None of these people had anything going for them. They could not grab any part of life and take it for themselves. They needed God to come with power, with His promise for them. We're no different when without God we have nothing going for us. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we are God-dependent. An almighty, sovereign God comes to us. God came in the flesh in Jesus. God fills us up with God's Spirit. We're baptized into life in God's church to remind us that life isn't about what we've earned or acquired or secured or whatever. Life is all about what God has brought to us by His grace and goodness. One of our church teaching puts it so well. As history unfolds in ways we know only in part, we are assured that God is with us in our world, holding all things in tender embrace and bending them to His purpose. The confidence that the Lord is faithful gives meaning to our days and hope to our years. The future is secure, for our world belongs to God. Daniel wants us to see that God gives us whatever we have, power, authority, place. We're totally dependent on God. God is the beginning and the end of all things. On Christmas Day, 1968, Apollo 8 did a a live television broadcast from space. Three astronauts, William Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman, commanded this spacecraft in the first manned mission to the moon. Uh, They circled 
the dark side of the moon, and suddenly over the horizon rose this blue-white earth against the black void of space. Jim Lovell said the vast loneliness was awe-inspiring. And as they watched this incredible scene unfold, these men, trained in science and technology, were moved to recite these words. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. They read the words of the creation story for the world to hear. This moment of unspeakable awe could not be captured for them in any other way. They uttered words that spoke of God's infinite and eternal power. In the beginning, God created. God is completely in control of all things. From creation to the end of the world, we are dependent on God. Our faith begins with this profound mystery. God who is sovereign over all things, creator of the world, the one who made all things, comes to be our God. How tragic it is then that we put ourselves at the center. We make ourselves out to be more than we are. We make life about us. Daniel says to uh, Belshazzar, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Now, Daniel chapter 5 abruptly introduces us to King Belshazzar, tells us he's giving this wild party. A party filled with uh, ostentation, decadence, carousing, coarseness, wantonness, uh, self-indulgence. Belshazzar has been co-king with Nabonidus for about 20 years. But their great kingdom of Babylon is about to fall. The capital city was likely surrounded right at this moment by Persian armies. And Belshazzar knew it and still he partied. Because he figured the city was impregnable. He figured it was invincible. That no one would be able to break through the 350 foot high, 87 foot wide walls. Babylon was a fortress. And within her walls, Belshazzar had 20 years worth of supplies. He could outlast any army. So he's filled with smug superiority. The problem is that Belshazzar's arrogance didn't account for God's sovereignty. His father had taken these gold and silver vessels from the temple. To him it was a sign that Babylon's gods had defeated Israel's God. But Belshazzar takes it one further. He wants to mock the God of Israel. What began as simple self-indulgence turned quickly to an instance of sacrilege against the Lord God. Belshazzar offered drinks in honor of his gods in the gold goblets of the Lord's temple. He disrespected God's deity. He, he not only treats the God of Israel as if he has no power, he wants to declare that the God of Israel is insignificant, that he's worthless. 
And so God exposes Belshazzar. Belshazzar disdains the God of Israel, so God reveals Belshazzar's weakness. He had failed to take God seriously. He had not learned the lesson his father Nebuchadnezzar had. Belshazzar's behavior is just simple blasphemy. He failed to honor God. Daniel tells him as much. But you, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself Though you knew all this, though you knew all this, see, Belshazzar knew the story of his father, Nebuchadnezzar. He knew about his prideful rise and his painful fall. He knew Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, except Belshazzar didn't let it influence his behavior. He didn't let the story of Nebuchadnezzar change his life. As German philosopher Hegel once noted, the only thing we learn from history is that we've learned nothing from history. That's Belshazzar. Belshazzar had been given a great gift. He saw Nebuchadnezzar, his father, come to faith. But instead of following in his footsteps, Belshazzar set off down his own road, a road that ultimately led to destruction. A Greek historian Herodotus tells us that while Babylon was partying, The Persian military devised a a cunning strategy to get past her walls. They diverted the Euphrates River some ways upstream, and the water levels of the moat and the tunnel that led into the city went down, and the armies were able to wade through. They invaded the city, and they conquered Babylon and her king, Belshazzar. We can make ourselves out to be greater than we are. Put ourselves at the center of all things. But God sets us straight. In another prophet, Isaiah, God makes it clear that he is the first and the last. That no one is like God. Isaiah says, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You're my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Belshazzar's idolatry revealed his weakness. Life wasn't about him. He had the chance to follow in Nebuchadnezzar's footsteps, but he didn't. He learned the hard way just how mistaken he was. He didn't acknowledge God's presence in the world. You see, God's glory is all around us. God is ruler over all. God is radiantly present to all. This God of glory confronted Belshazzar. In four simple words, all of Belshazzar's plans, dreams, and boasts are revealed as pathetically empty. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. These Aramaic words are simple measurements of weight, like ounces, pounds, tons. But Daniel realizes that God uses these three words to judge Belshazzar's kingship. Mene, God has numbered 
the days of your reign. God looks to the past. God appointed Belshazzar. God set him up to rule Babylon. To Cal, you've been weighed and found wanting. God measures his present. God evaluates his performance as king. And Belshazzar has failed to be the king he could have been. Parson or Perez, your kingdom is divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. God considers his future. And that moment is upon him when his dynasty will be broken off because he's failed to honor God. And his kingdom will be given to another. Belshazzar, like his father Nebuchadnezzar, had power because of God. And the writing on the wall confronts Belshazzar with God's glory. And Belshazzar is terrified. The unexpected guest, this disembodied hand, writing these four words on the wall, literally causes Belshazzar, his knees to knock, his legs to give way. Literally, it says, the knots of his loins give way, which means he probably soiled himself. Belshazzar became a ghost of himself when face to face with the glory of God. And he didn't recognize God's glory. He failed to see God's glory as it was represented in the gold and silver goblets. Belshazzar failed to honor God for being God. He failed to recognize that God's glory shone all around him. We see God's glory best in Jesus. The Gospel of John says about Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And God's glory shines in us as human beings. Women and men, young and old, shine forth the image of God to all the world. Someone once said, your neighbor may be the holiest object ever presented to your senses. That is, they bear the glory of God. I mean, look at the person next to you. The glory of God right in your face. And God's glory is also evident in the world all around us. The radiance of God's presence may be revealed in gold goblets. Or in the symbol of water poured over the head of a baby. Or a cup of juice in a crunchy cracker used to commemorate the death and life of Jesus. C.S. Lewis once noted, in order that we finite beings may apprehend the emperor, he translates his glory into multiple forms, into stars, woods, waters, beasts, and bodies of men. God's glory comes to us through many doors to fill the whole earth. But if we don't have the eyes to see, then like Belshazzar, we may think that goblets of gold are at our disposal. We may think that people and things are ours to be used. 
If we don't have the eyes to see, then we may find life only has the worth we give it. Nebuchadnezzar saw God's glory. Daniel 4.37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Belshazzar never learned the lesson. He set himself up against God. Instead of glorifying God, Daniel says, You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor God. We are made to glorify God. It's our purpose. It's the purpose of every created thing, no matter how high or low. And when we don't glorify God, we fail in our calling. We simply do not understand the meaning of life. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it well. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes his shoes off. The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries. What was Belshazzar's sinful mistake? Well, ultimately, he thought less of God. Failed to glorify God. Failed to honor God for being God. He failed to see the glory of God's radiance in these gold goblets and in the life all around him and in the rain that he was able to have. Instead of using them to worship God, he used them as objects for his purposes. He didn't realize that everything in life is meant to point him to the one true God who wants our worship. That life finds its true weight when we discover the glory of God. By, by honoring God as worthy above all things, by recognizing God's radiance in everything around us. It's time to take our shoes off. God's always revealing His glory. Throughout our lives, we face the mystery of God's glory around us. And to see it, we will have to put ourselves aside. The glory of God is everywhere. A cracker and communion cup. An innocent child. A common bush. A homebound grandparent. Even in the ruler of nations. Earth's crammed with heaven. Don't settle for plucking blackberries. See and glorify the Lord our God who holds our lives in His hands. Let's pray together. Our God, the mystery of Your greatness greets us, meets us 
really at every turn in our lives. We pray that you would open our eyes to see not only that there is no one like you, that you are greater than all, but that you have infused this world with your glory. Help us to see that this world is a fire with your goodness, your greatness. And that we humbly bow to worship and honor you in all things. Lord God, we pray this in the name of Jesus who showed us your glory face to face. Amen.